So her day started like many of her other days. She was going about her daily business and she was on her daily trek. The day was hard and uh, it was so hot out. And as she approached her destination, there was a man there and he began to ask her questions and actually asked her a favor and she was surprised that he would even bother to talk to her knowing who she was but also that she even asked him a favor and she was surprised by it but as they began to talk more and more it seemed as though he knew her not just something about her reputation but he seemed to know her heart He seemed to be able to see within her and understand what she was struggling with in her life. And that was surprising to her. They got into a discussion about where the proper place to worship was. And finally, she was so overtaken by this conversation that she dropped what she was doing and she ran back into town. And that kind of is an overview of the encounter that Jesus had with a woman in John chapter 4. And that what we want to do this weekend is we want to look at the gospel and how Jesus brings the gospel to people and how he shares the good news uh, to different people in different ways. Like, for instance, if you read John chapter 3, you see an encounter that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus, who is a religious leader. He's, he's top of the rung. He's uh, very religious and, and very held in esteem in society. And then you come to John chapter 4 and Jesus is meeting with a woman at the well who is of the lowest rung of society. And uh, he deals with each one different, but he brings the gospel to each one. And that's what we want to look at this weekend. But my question to you is, as we get started, is what would it be like if you were to meet Jesus this week, have an encounter with Jesus? What would that look like? What would, what, how would that be, you know, if you didn't know it was him, but then all, you know, as your conversation began and as it proceeded, you would say, there's something different about this man. There's something about him that he just seems like he knows me, like he understands me, like he understands where I'm at and what my struggles are and my fears and my doubts and all that stuff. And I just want to say to you that whatever conversation, whatever encounter you might have with Jesus this week, it will be tailored to you. And I believe that's how he wants us to share his good news with others. So what we want to do is draw three principles from these uh, passages. We're going to really look at mainly John 4, but we're going to look a little bit at the encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And we're going to draw some principles of how do we share the good news of the gospel? How do we share it? So the first thing we want to see is this. The gospel is the good news for everyone. No one is too good and no one is too bad for the gospel. Everyone in this room needs the gospel. There's not one person in this room that doesn't. There's no one that's too good and there's no one that's too bad. We all need it. And, and really, Nicodemus and the woman at the well are really great test cases of people from the highest to the lowest of society that needed the gospel. Notice how Jesus approaches each one. It's different. It's fundamentally different. Look at this. John chapter 3, verse 1. We see Nicodemus, and he was what we would consider, uh, maybe we wouldn't, but in the society of that day, would consider the top of society. And here's how Jesus approached him. John 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. 
After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous gifts are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. So here's his encounter with Nicodemus. And now, let's look at his encounter with a woman at the well, who most of society would look at her as being at the bottom. John chapter 4, verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking for a drink? Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So Jesus shares the gospel in different ways to these two different people. First, look at Nicodemus. Look at their, their, their place in society. Nicodemus, as I said, was the cream of the crop. He was a teacher of law. He was a Pharisee. Now, we get tripped up with this word Pharisee. His Pharisee has a very negative connotation in our day and age. Um, it means you're hypocritical. It means you say one thing and you do another. It means that you live, you, you say that you ought to live a certain way, but you don't. You, you, you tend to be legalistic. In that day, a Pharisee was looked upon highly in society. They were held up. They kept the law perfectly. They were the ones that everybody said, I wish I could be them. They were held in honor. And we understand that they plotted to, to, uh, to, uh, take Jesus out and all that. We get that. But in that day and age, this was they were well favored. They were highly favored. They were the top of society. Um, he was well educated and he would have been seen, as I said, one of the elite. Now let's look at the woman. She would have been seen by society in that day as at the bottom of the barrel. She was a Samaritan, hated by the Jews. Now I don't have time to go into explaining all of this. It's very clear in the passage. She's shocked that he would talk to her and she says i'm a samaritan woman now what who are the samaritans samaritans were basically half-breeds they were half jewish and they were half gentile or other race and ultimately as you read through the end of the old testament and the beginning of the new testament you have this intertestamental time where the samaritans were really kind of a thorn in the flesh for the jewish people in fact, in the geography of that day, you had the sea, you have Galilee in the north, you have Samaria, and then you have Judea in the south. And basically, what the Jews would do is they would go around Samaria to go from the north to the south. They didn't have, want to have anything to do with Samaria, Samaria or the Samaritans. But Jesus said to his disciples that day, we must go through Samaria. So there's a significant thing going on. So she was a Samaritan. Secondly, she was a woman. Now, in that day and age, uh, in the Jewish uh, uh, culture, women were not held in as high esteem as men. Like when you had weddings, it wasn't all about the woman. It was all about the man. It just was, that's the way it was. So she was not only a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman. And more than that, she was a social and moral outcast. Now, how do we know that? Well, when did she come to get the water? The middle of the day. Now imagine this week that you had to go 
and you had to travel maybe a mile, maybe two miles, and you had to go get water for the day. When would you do that? In the morning or at the evening, right? You would not do it in the middle of the day. Especially, think about our weather this week. Think about Friday. In the middle of the day, you travel a mile to get a bucket of water to bring back home. You wouldn't do it in the middle of the day. You'd do it in the morning or the evening. Why should you do it in the middle of the day? Because in the morning and in the evening, that's when everybody did it. And it was a social time. It was a time of gathering. It was a time of sharing news. She did not want to be with the other women. And, and as you read on, you'll see why. Because she was somebody that they looked down upon. So she was at the absolute lowest bottom of society where Nicodemus was the highest. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus breaks through all of these barriers and he speaks to her. He brings, he doesn't speak down to her either. Do you notice that? He doesn't condescend to her. He speaks to her and she's surprised. She's shocked because she knows that he must be a rabbi of some sort and that he's a man and he's a Jewish man. So she's surprised that he even give him the time of day. And she's taken back by his offer of living water. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift, that I, that I could give you, you would ask me and I would give it to you. Now, what disqualifies you when somebody gives you a gift? You see, the Bible says that God's salvation is a gift. That we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a gift that he gives to us. Paul says in Ephesians, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's a gift that God gives to us. What keeps you from receiving a gift? One thing, pride. Your pride. You say, I don't want that gift. I don't need that gift. I'll do it on my own. I'll try it. I'll make it. And you know what? Pride will keep you from receiving the gift. But those of us who have received the gift, those of us that see have understood that we're lost and we're helpless and hopeless, that we need a Savior, that we need somebody to come and take our sin away and give us their righteousness. And Jesus is the only one, being God, who became man is the only one who could give his life and pay the price completely for us. And we know it's a gift. We understand that through the gospel. That's the good news, that Jesus Christ has come to bring the good news, to be the good news for us. And it will radically change our lives. This news will radically change our lives. So we have to come to a place and say, I give up. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I need a Savior. I have no pride. I bring nothing to the table except I'm lost and I need a Savior. Maybe you're here today and you can come to the place and you can say that. But you know what? Every one of us who have called upon Jesus have come to that place of humility, that come to that place of brokenness, that come to that place of saying, I need help and I need a Savior. Every one of us have, that have come to that place, we understand what it is to, under, to receive His grace and to receive His mercy. And, and when, when that comes into our life, you know what it does? It doesn't make us proud. It humbles us. It humbles us. When you understand all that you have received from God in the gospel, you can't talk down about people. You see them as you were, lost and helpless and hopeless, in need of a Savior, just like you. That's why I've said, and, and many people have said, the ground beneath the cross is level. Now, notice the circumstances. Of, and let me ask you a question before we move on just for a minute. Can you receive the gift of grace that God offers through His Son, Jesus? Or are you still committed that you're going to do your best, you're going to try your hardest, you're going to present God with a resume one day and say, you need to let me into heaven, I'm good enough to get there, I've done enough to get there. Or are you going to say, you know what, I need somebody to save me. 
Here's the second thing. Notice the circumstances. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He comes in private. He comes quietly. He doesn't want to get a lot of people knowing about it. He's got a reputation to protect. He's a Pharisee and uh, not really sure where, where, what this is all about Jesus. But there's something about Jesus that's attractive. There's something about Jesus that's powerful. And he wants to see it. And he thinks it's important for him to meet. Now, the woman is, ex- is exactly the opposite. See, Nicodemus comes looking for Jesus. But Jesus came looking for the woman. He came looking for the woman. He said, I need to go to Samaria because there's a woman there that I need to meet. So that's different. Uh, we talked about their status in society. Nicodemus was very religious. He followed all the laws and regulations to the letter. But you know what? In the end, Nicodemus was lost. Jesus said to him, you need to be born again. You may keep the law perfectly, but you know what? You still need to be born again. The woman, there's no question, everybody in society, probably including herself, knew she was lost. Nobody had to tell her that. But Jesus basically, uh, she was just as lost as Nicodemus. The thing is, they both were lost. They both struggled with the gospel. Uh, Nicodemus said uh, to Jesus, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. He didn't understand it. To the woman, he says, you need the living water that only I can give you. And she didn't understand it. Both were lost. You know, I was thinking about this. Um, Jesus told a parable in, in the Gospel of Luke 15 about the, 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 the we call it the prodigal son. Um, but you know, when you think about it, it's not the prodigal son. It's the prodigal sons, plural. There were two sons. And the interesting thing is we always focus on the younger one. The younger son wanted his wealth. He, he demanded his wealth. He went and he squandered the wealth. And he said, oh, what have I done? And I've, I've just, I've humiliated my father. I'm no longer good. To, I should never be called his son. And he comes back and he repents and the father throws him a party. And then we use the end of the sermon because pastors, when they prepare their messages, they run out of time. So they have to end. So they don't talk about the older son. But you know what? The old, if you were in that community and you knew that family and you heard the story, you'd say, oh, that younger son, what a, what a demon boy he was. He was just terrible. He was awful. He was horrible. He humiliated the father. He ran away from home. What a terrible boy. But oh, that older boy, what a good boy he was. He stuck by his dad. He, he was out in the fields. I saw him working every day. He was there early in the morning, left late at night. He was a hard worker and he worked hard. And he's the kind of son that we all want. And you know what? At the end of the parable, it comes down to this. The father's out there pleading with the older son saying, would you just come in and be with us? See, the story of the parable is both sons were lost, not just the, the younger one. They were both lost. Now, when you apply that, when you think about it here, what, how would society view Nicodemus? He was the top of the, the ladder. He was keeping the law. He was, he was a student of the law, a teacher of the law, held up in esteem. And everybody would look at him and say, what a good, honest, decent person he was. And they'd look at the woman and say, what a loser, what a loser. The, the younger brother, and yet who is the, the Pharisee who would, Look at him as the older brother. Here's the point. They're both lost. <laughs> They're both lost. You know, you look at the, the, the Nicodemus and you say, he's lost. You look at the woman, he, she's lost. They're both lost. That's the principle. And, 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 and the thing you need to understand is you look at John 3 and 4 is there's no one size fits all. When you share the gospel, people are people and they're in different places. You may, be, you may be here and you say, I'm the bottom of the barrel. And I just want to say the gospel is for you. You may say, well, I'm doing pretty well. I'm, life's going real well. And I'm, no, you know, no. It, the gospel's for you too. You need it just as bad as somebody at the bottom of the barrel and everyone in between. And you know what Jesus does? He takes the gospel and he applies it to us specifically, to our hearts. So that's the first thing. 
Secondly, the gospel is not just good advice, it's life-changing news. Let me pick up now. I want to focus more on the woman now and move away from Nicodemus. And uh, if you jump down to uh, verse 13 in chapter 4, it says this. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. And he was probably pointing to the well that they were sitting around at that point. But those who drink the water, what I give them, will never thirst again. It, will, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And then the woman says, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get the water. You see, she's all on the physical. She's not getting the spiritual dimension yet. And he says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So Jesus offers the Nicodemus, he offers him what? What does he offer him? He offers him the new birth. He offers the woman what? New, uh, living water. And so there's two different things. But here's the thing. Jesus begins to say, you know what? Here's the deal. I've got this water, and if you drink it, you'll never need it again. And it's as necessary as the physical water that you come. You, you cannot live without physical water, but you cannot live spiritually without the living water that only I can give you. Now, here's the interesting thing. All of a sudden, in the middle of this dialogue, Jesus does a 90. He says, oh, by the way, go get your husband. He goes, above, above, above. <laughs> what? <laughs> go call your husband. And you say, well, what's that all about? What's that all about? You know what he's doing here? He's showing the woman. You have this inner thirst. You have this inner hunger, this, this inner void in your life. And you're trying to fill it through these relationships. You have five relationships with men. And you're asking them to fill this void in your life. And it's not working. You're drinking at these wells. You drank at that first second well third well you're drinking right now from a well and you're dying of thirst because this man or these other five men could not give you what only i can now what is that what do we often look for in relationships we often look for significance we say is there somebody out there that will validate my life and say you're significant you're important you matter i love you Every one of us needs to hear those words. Every one of us needs to feel that somebody loves us, somebody cares about us. So we look many times in relationships for other people. We sometimes look to our kids when we have children. Because then as a mother, as a father, then they'll know that I'm a valuable person. My kids will affirm me. How's that working out for you? (laughs) Not so good sometimes, right? Uh, I remember one of my boys, and and I don't have time to go into this, but I remember his first, he was so excited to go to school. First day to school, he got on the bus, and as he was walking on the bus, he turned and looked at my wife, Carol, and said, I hate you. <laughs> I still remember that. Uh, yeah, those beautiful words. <laughs> but what do we do? We look to relationships and we say, I need you to come into my life and to be into my life so that I'll feel significant, so I'll feel secure. You'll take care of me. You'll watch over me. I'll feel satisfied. I just need you. And if I can add you, or, you know, it could be your job. It could be be a whole bunch of things. But for this woman, it was these relationships. And Jesus is saying to her, you're drinking from these wells and you are starving. You are dying a little more every time you take a drink. 
Because these wells were never meant to satisfy your soul, to fill your heart, to quench your thirst. They can't do it, but I can. Because I offer living water. And when you look to me, I will give you all the satisfaction you need in life. I will give you all the significance you need in life. I will take care of you and I will watch over you. You can trust me. I will fill your life so full that you not only will be full, it will come pouring out of you and become an artesian well. That's why he says, go call your husband. Because he's trying to help her see that she is dying of thirst and he's the only one that can fill that void in her life. Jesus is saying, when you come to me, you will find the satisfaction, significance, and security that you so desire. You'll be filled to capacity, beyond capacity, to overflow, and you'll become like a well springing up out of the ground. Jesus is saying to her, I will eternally quench your thirst. You will find everything you need in me. The gospel is the only thing that can completely fill us, quench our thirst, Without him, we remain dry and empty. We remain a desert. So I don't know what wells you're drinking from for those things. All I know is, if you're in a relationship and you're disappointed, maybe you're putting a little too much weight on that relationship and not enough on him. But let's move to the third point, because he's really gotten to the heart of what's going on in this woman's life. Now, Nicodemus was a different issue. May have been a pride issue with Nicodemus. Don't really, I mean, we, we don't have time to go into that. But with the woman, it's clear that she is looking at these wells of men, and she's gone through five, she's on number six, and it's not working out. The gospel, though, is good news to share with others. Sharing the good news is simply this. It's telling about the faith, your faith, and inviting others to embrace them, to, to join you in embracing Jesus. It's like this. I like using the phrase, the gospel is like one beggar sharing to another beggar where they found bread. Let's change it. The gospel is about somebody who has had an incredible thirst a spiritual thirst that only Jesus could fill and we've had that thirst quenched and we want others to experience the joy that we have and we just lead them to the well and say it's up to you to decide but this worked for me and it is working for me and it may help you and it may change your life in incredible ways that I can't even begin to describe. Now when Jesus called her to start bringing her husband, she basically wanted to change a channel, you know, change the conversation, change the channel. And so she says, okay, here's what we'll do. Uh, you're here. You seem pretty intelligent. Help me out here because we Samaritans think you ought to worship God on this hill and you Jewish people think you ought to worship down in Jerusalem. Well, well what is it? And Jesus ultimately says, basically, uh, it's not where you worship it's who you worship that's more important. It's who you worship. But Jesus says this to the woman. Or she says this to Jesus. Because after he gives that answer, she kind of comes out and she says, Well, I know a Messiah, the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything 
to us. And Jesus looks at her when she says that, and he says to her, you're looking at Messiah. I am the Christ. And I think it's about that time. She drops her bucket, and she runs back into town. And uh, she tells the village about her experience with Jesus. He has no theology at this point. Okay, She's had no Bible training. She hasn't learned the four spiritual laws. She doesn't know anything. All she knows is she's had an encounter with Jesus. That's it. That's all she knows. And all she's going to do is lead people to Jesus and say, is it possible that maybe the emptiness that you're experiencing is the same that I was experiencing and that maybe Jesus can fill your emptiness like he's filling mine? Is it possible? That's essentially all she's doing. And and this is what it says as you jump down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves, now we know that he indeed is the savior of the world. Now, every world religion, every founder of a world religion basically says, I am here to show you how to find God. Jesus comes and says, I'm God, come to find you. You're lost and I've come to find you. Someone has said, and I think it's C.S. Lewis who says, he's either the way or no way, but he can't be a way. He's either the way or no way, but he can't be a way. In other words, Jesus can't be just some good guy who is one of many ways, because he said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the light. So he either is the way, the only way, or he's a lunatic because he's mad and out of his mind he thinks he's God and he's not. You have to choose between one or the two because he can't, be, he can't be just a good guy or a decent guy if he's out of his mind. I mean, out of their mind, people, I guess, could be nice, but they can't be saviors. In the Gospel or in Acts, they, it says, There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. See, the gospel is good news to be treasured for sure, but it, it must also be shared. We're not to keep it to ourselves. Everyone from the top to the bottom of society needs to hear the gospel. Everyone. Now, uh, the picture that I have after this is Jesus is sitting at the well. The woman f- goes back into town. The disciples come back after they went into town to get food, and Jesus basically says, I've have food that you don't know about. And they said, well, did somebody give him a power bar? What, what did he eat? Did he have a Gatorade or whatever? And no, they... And Jesus says, it's, the picture that I have is that Jesus is sitting at the well, the disciples are around him, and he looks over their shoulders, and the, the town where the woman ran, is 
just down the hill. And from the village, people are coming. Now, because they've heard the woman and they want to see Jesus. The disciples don't see any of this because their back is to the town. And they, Jesus sees the people coming up the hill or down the hill. And they're wearing white because it's hot and you wear white in that climate. And so you see the white all over the fields of the people, young and old, coming out to Jesus. The disciples are looking at Jesus and Jesus is looking over them, seeing the people. And I believe he says to them, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray that God would send laborers to bring the gospel to them. And I think he was talking about the people that were coming out. Everyone needs to hear the good news from the top to the bottom of society. Now, I have a feeling, and I've heard this, I've heard this attitude, that people, some people are more deserving of hearing the gospel than others. If you are at the bottom of society, if you have had a hard life and a difficult life, if you've been poor, if you've struggled your life, you need to hear, you have more of a right to hear the gospel than somebody who's at the top echelon of society who's doing well. After all, they're doing well. And I think the underlying current is, well, listen, they've had an easy life. They've had it good. They've had it better than everyone else. They really don't deserve to hear the gospel as much as somebody who this poor soul over here. I just want to say to you, as you read John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, Jesus' heart is broken for people at the top of society and people at the bottom of society and people everywhere in between. And you know what? I don't think it's right for us to say, you deserve to hear the gospel more than you to hear the gospel more than you to hear, deserve to hear the gospel. Everyone needs to hear the gospel. Let's just be real careful that we don't say, you deserve to hear it more than you deserve to hear it. Lost people are lost people, whether they're doing well in society, whether they're well-educated, or whether they're doing not so well, whether they're not doing well and they're not well-educated, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're young or old, it doesn't matter whether they're evil, whether they're, they're good or bad, whether they're Democrat or Republican, whether they're gay or straight. doesn't really matter. They all need to hear the gospel. And that's what's going to change their hearts. That's what's going to fill their soul. That's what's going to change their lives. So f- frankly, folks, I, I'm, a sh- I, I'm getting nervous about us when we say these people need to hear the gospel more than these people. Frankly, what I think is everyone needs to hear the gospel. Everyone. Jesus is the only one who can quench our eternal spiritual thirst. Our inner longings can only be satisfied. Now, how does he do that? Very simply this way. Jesus got off of his throne. He came to earth. He was born as a baby in a manger. He lived a perfect life. He got up and willingly gave himself on the cross. And one of the things that Jesus said when he was on the cross was this. I thirst. I thirst. And what Jesus was saying, I believe, was, I will experience eternal spiritual thirst so that you could be filled with living water so that you'll never be thirsty again. And it's through His death It's through his sacrifice that we find that filling, that we find that living water. 
When Jesus says, I will go through eternal cosmic thirst so that you could be filled. He provided that. He's the only one who can offer the eternal water that can fill our eternal thirst. So my question to you is, have you ever received the living water? Have you ever called upon Jesus? Have you ever said, Jesus, I'm absolutely lost. I'm helpless and I'm hopeless. You are my only hope. I am dying of thirst spiritually. And I know that you're offering me living water and I want it right now. Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life? And if you have, if you've called upon Jesus, are you willing to take this gospel and say, Jesus, there's people that are going to come into my life this week. And we're going to have an encounter. And I want you to use me, maybe like the woman. Maybe you're going to use me more like you. But whatever, however you use me, may I be somebody who has found the living water, who can point people to the living water so that they can have their thirst quenched. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, there may be some here this morning that uh, may want to receive the living water, and they don't know how. It may be that they just want to pray a prayer or something like this, and they can pr- you could pray this prayer in your heart if this is what you want to say to Jesus this morning. Jesus, I realize I'm lost, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless, and I need a Savior. I realize my life is empty. It's, there's a void that only you can fill. And I need the living water. I need to be born again. I need that spiritual change, that turn of my heart. And only you can do that. And I pray that you will come into, come into my life, that you would fill my life full. Jesus, I realize that on the cross, you gave yourself to me. Now I am giving myself to you. don't know what that means, but I'm calling on you today, right now. I'm inviting you to come into my life. And Father, if somebody has prayed that prayer, I pray that they would let somebody that they care about and that cares about them know about it. Say, Jesus, I prayed to ask Jesus to come into my life today. I want that living water that he has. For those of us, Father, who have received the living water and we found our life filled to overflowing, help us to not put parameters on who deserves and doesn't deserve to hear the gospel. May we not say about anybody, they're too far gone. There's no hope there. And may we not look at people who are doing really well or, or, and just say, well, they must be okay. They may be very religious and very good people, but they may be very lost. And they are dying of thirst too. Help us, Father, just to be used of you to point people to the living water. And thank you for the way that you use us and the way that you change lives forever. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.